Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Dr. Joe Court earned his master's in social work from Wayne State University, followed by a master's in psychology. He then earned his PhD in clinical sexology from the American Academy of Clinical Sexologists. Dr. Court treats straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender individuals and couples in his practice. He is on the teaching faculty at the University of Michigan Sexual Health Certif Certificate Program, a certified Imago relationship therapist, a board-certified sexologist, a certified ASECT therapist, and a su supervisor of sex therapy. Dr. Court is also the founder and director of the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health, and their website can be found at www.crsh.com. So welcome, Joe. So glad to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. And I want to just, if I can make one correction, I, I must have given you an old bio. The, the only difference is I'm no longer with the University of Michigan. I'm now with Modern Sex Therapy Institutes, and I'm co-director of that uh, sex therapy school. Oh, fantastic. So how is that working out for you? Oh, much better. I really love it. We're uh, issuing out certifications and PhDs, and it's a lot different than what I was doing at U of M. So it's fun. Beautiful. Yeah. And I, I also just want to say that that Dr. Court is really a nationally known and internationally known sexual health expert, especially in the LGBT community. And I'm just so grateful that you could be with us here today. I appreciate being here. I, I mean, we've known each other a long time. And when I look at your pictures, I'm like, you haven't aged at all. Like, don't change. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, but a little bit of a Photoshop goes a long way. So <laughs> me too. Me yeah, too. exactly. So today we're going to be talking about a very um, necessary and interesting and somewhat controversial topic, as you'll tell us about. And it, the topic is straight men who have sex with men. And this topic is something really heating up right now. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us about what you've been experiencing recently on the web. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, I've been writing and talking about this since 2006. I put up a website called Straight Guys, uh, with guys being G-U-I-S-E, like disguisestraightguys.com. And um, I got, I've gotten a little bit of attention here and there, and some people notice it. And then in 2012, I wrote an article for Huffington Post about straight men who have sex with men, and that got some attention, but not really a lot. I really think now, right now, this is happening. Uh, because I'm on TikTok, I think it's a, it's a platform where I'm being introduced to people that uh, on their FYP page, which is for your page, mm -hmm. uh, that don't know me. And I just think that people um, are, I think people are ready to hear it, even though it's controversial. Hmm. So, so what makes the readiness now? Why, why at this point rather than back then? 
more sexual fluidity discussion, more understanding of these newer labels, and uh, more permission. You know, I, I think the internet being around 10 years more than when it was when I first started talking about this, it's, it's out there. People with fluidity, people with uh, ability to be sexual outside of their, the gender that they're normally attracted to or the human that they're usually attracted to is more, no, more understanding. Mm -hmm. So I just think that, um, and therapists, I think, are more seeing this more in their practice. So it's a higher awareness outside of what I'm, my own work. Sure. And, you know, I was thinking in terms of, of history and having come out as a gay man in the mid 80s is very different from the language and the discussions that we're having in 2021. Actually, they're like night and day. And I'm wondering if you can comment on your own personal and professional evolution, because this particular topic is really cutting edge. This is just so far off the radar from what we used to talk about. And so maybe if we can just talk about the context of your own evolution uh, and as far as it relates to what we're talking about today, I think that might be helpful as well. Yeah, no, and it's interesting because you're bringing up a good point. Even in the HIV crisis, um, we had to stop saying uh, gay and bisexual men because we understood that we, we changed it to men who have sex with men. I remember that vividly because we had to make room what we were saying back then was that men uh, didn't identify as non-straight and they wouldn't see themselves as needing to get healthcare for, or checkups for HIV. Mm -hmm. So it has changed. Um, mm -hmm. And my own evolution that you're asking, you know, I've evolved a lot. You know, I've been doing this 36 years and for t over 20 of those years, I was a sex addiction therapist and a trauma therapist. I'm still a trauma therapist. Um, and, but my sex addiction um, uh, identification has gone away because I under, when I became a sex therapist and the more training I received in sexuality, the more I realized this is complicated. This is nuanced. There are, are, are lots of things to consider that isn't considered in my sex addiction training. And these men, a lot of the men that are having sex with men that are straight don't have a problem. The people have a problem with them. They don't have a problem with it. <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the things I'm hearing you say, and I, I think our listeners would appreciate some clarification on this, is you really took a detour in your career towards sexual health. And the field of sexual health and clinical sexology is, is not always understood well in general. But in, in terms of what we're focusing on today, I'm, I'm wondering if you can just spend a few minutes talking about um, sexual health as a, a, a way of, as a lens, basically, of a way of looking at things and how that differs from pathologizing or uh, calling something problematic. Yeah, that's a great question. So the other thing that uh, contributed to my evolution was as a trauma therapist, I would help somebody heal around sexual trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And then I would have no idea how to help the same person find their own sexual wellness, their own sexual health. And that's why I went and got a certification in this and, and an understanding around it. And, um, and, and the reason that I didn't know, and many therapists don't know, is that sexual wellness and sex education was prohibited from mental health training. So most mental health trained therapists have never had a sexual health. Maybe they did a class, maybe they went to some all day workshop, but it wasn't really a part of, and it's sad because then what happens is the, the client ends up either, either going along with the therapist 
um, idea of what sex is or societies or partners or religion and not their own. So sex therapy training helps you help the person find their own erotic thumbprint. Hmm. So what, what sounds so refreshing about that is that it really allows for honest conversations about what people really want um, in, in their approach to having a, a fun, liberated, uh, exciting sex life. And I think this whole idea, and I'm going to bring it back to straight men who have sex with other men, is, is that we're really talking about pleasure, right? We're really talking about what you refer to as erotic orientation versus sexual orientation. And so I'm wondering if we can expand on that a bit so people understand why this topic is so important. Yeah, I love talking about the difference between sexual orientation and erotic orientation because it wakes people up. Your sexual orientation is to whom you're attracted to, what human you're attracted to, what gender you're attracted to. It could be two or more, a blend of both, neither. But then you have erotic orientation, and those are the things that turn you on, get you off. They're embedded in your sexual fantasies. They bring you to orgasm, and they're not always matching up. So somebody that might be uh, fighting for peace and unity in, um, in, on Earth might have fantasexual erotic fantasies that are violent and um, non-consensual in fantasy. But that doesn't have anything to do with who they really are. They're just sexual fantasy or erotic fantasies. So that's why I think people have a hard time with what I'm talking about, because they think I'm talking about sexual orientation and I'm talking about erotic orientation. Hmm. So I, I was listening to one of your um one of your descriptions of this. And I was, I was really caught with the idea of the idea that the sex act is what is the focal point, that it's not so much about being attracted to the other gender, or sorry, to the same gender, as much as it's the, the sex act. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can clarify that, because I think this, this has a lot of buttons for people. And, and yes. what we're trying to do is really demystify this whole process of, of one's attraction to a sex act, right? Is that, is that accurate? Yes. So, uh, and I, I try to uh, talk about it. It's so hard to do in those TikTok videos. So they give you 60 minutes. So I have several. Right. And um, so, so what happens, some of these men are into kink are into fetishes. Mm -hmm. They might be into BDSM, bondage, discipline, sadomasochism, and they're into the power exchange and the gender, they prefer to do it with women, but they're willing to do it with men because um, men are available, men are willing to participate in the play. And it's the play that's important. I had a client that was into um, muscle, uh, many actually clients who are into muscle worship and they're heterosexual and they prefer women and they, they're, they're heterosexual, but they'll play with men because of the muscle. And so it's not so much that they look at this guy and go, he's hot. They're into, it's hard to play with the muscle. That's different. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's more about the erotic template, the, the, whatever that is that turns somebody on. And, and if I'm hearing you correctly, it's, it's about really sometimes um, availability and, and other factors that are not necessarily a first choice, but are something that can be just as fun and satisfying. 
Yes, absolutely. And uh, availability and opportunity is what a lot of these men will tell me, and that, that they can uh, um, enact some of the fantasies they have with men that they would never do to a woman or that their own female partners would never do. So some of these men want to receive anal sex and they don't want to uh, talk about it with their partner because they're afraid they're going to be seen as gay or, or not alpha, but more beta. Or um, they're more into some kind of uh, verbal abuse. So they may have want to play with that and they would never want to do what they do to a man, to a woman. Hmm. So in a way, it, it really opens up the possibilities for... Um, for really the repertoire of what is it that I really get turned on by. And if I'm not going to get it here, maybe I can get it there. And, and, and yes. Yeah. And is there judgment um, from our society? Is there judgment uh, that comes along with that? Because oftentimes this, this can also bring about questions of infidelity or, or um, can I have an open conversation with my spouse about this? So there's a lot of, different avenues I think we're talking about here. Yeah, and then people say, uh, and they're saying it in the comments sections of my social media, mm -hmm. well then why doesn't he just find another woman? All these guys, I've been doing this, actually, since I was a sex addiction therapist, I was even talking about it then, this is a long time ago. These men all over the world, I, I do consultations all over the world, and they all say the same thing. It didn't feel like I was cheating by doing it with a man, every one of them. and. I think that says a lot about they're in denial, of course. Of course, they broke the relationship mm -hmm, contract. Mm -hmm. But um, and the other thing is, they say women are not as available. They require you to uh, have some kind of conversation and some kind of connection. And they just want to get off. And men allow for that. Mm -hmm. So what about the label of, of bisexuality? Because what's really the difference between a bisexual and a man who is having sex with another man? So a bisexual man is is interested in both men and women and maybe multi other genders as well, but they're interested, they're attracted to the actual gender. They're attracted to the person. Um, and it, it may be that some people will say, well, what about the bisexual guy that's only sexually attracted to men, but not emotionally? He would be attracted to the entire man. He's attracted to the hotness of the guy where the straight guy is having sex with that guy and he's not into the hotness of the guy. He's into the experience of the sexual act. Mm -hmm. It's different. Mm -hmm. But is there a chance that, that somehow he could be closeted? Yes. And, and that's another thing that people don't um, read or, or listen to me on social media about. Absolutely. Some of these men are closeted gay men, closeted bi men, um, closeted lots of things. And so the work as a therapist in my room is helping them come to terms with um, what that would be. And I have four questions that I ask these guys that I, again, I'm not, I always say to people, I'm not a gay whisperer. <laughs> if I was a gay whisperer, truly, I would be rich and I would be on my yacht uh, having Cher and Dinah Ross uh -huh. over for dinner. You know what I mean? That would be my fantasy, mm -hmm. but I'm not. And I, and I, let me tell you the four questions that sure. help the man himself go inside. Mm -hmm. The first question is, does he have any childhood memories? And I call it youthful noticing. I'm gay. I remember getting naked in Cub Scouts, having to get in the shower before we got in the swimming pool and being highly aroused by all the other boys my age. I remember gym class almost every day being horrified by having to, by, by the fact that I was aroused by these other guys in the showers and um, not have, being able to show that or, or you know, uh, worried that somebody would notice that. 
I had a crush on this guy named Billy, but my first kiss was with this girl named Lori. I mean, I've all gay and bisexual men often have memories like this. Straight men who have sex with men, all their memories are female. All their memories, they have no, they may have had sex play with another boy, but it wasn't erotic like it was for, for girls, with girls at all. Mm. The next thing is homophobia. Gay and bisexual men are so homophobic in the early stages of coming out that they don't even make it to my office. I'm too gay for them. Mm. So the, get the straight men um, who come to me and say and wonder about what's going on, they, they say to me, they're holding my books. Actually, they've read my books better than any gay guy has ever read my book. <laughs> and they'll, honest to God, and they'll say, if I'm gay, help me get there. But I don't feel like I'm gay. I just feel like it's something else. So they don't have homophobia. Mm -hmm. That's number two. The third thing is, is the beach test. I call it the beach test. When you're on the beach, where are you distracted before you even know you're distracted? Mm. For, um, for me as a gay guy, no offense to women, the, um, but they're in the way. I'm looking at the men all around the beach. I, when I'm trying to look at a guy, she's in my way. The straight guy will say, I, the, the men are in my way. I'm only looking at females. I'm only attracted physically to, to females. And then the fourth thing is, I ask, who do you want to come home to? Who do you want to wake up next to? And the men that are straight will say, a man. The other men will say, I would really, uh, some gay and bisexual, if they're closeted, they'll say, I wish it were a woman, but I really want to wake up or come home to a man. It's different. Mm -hmm. And those questions are fantastic. I'm wondering if there's anywhere that our listeners can find those four questions. It's in my book, Is My Husband Gay, Straight or Bi? Um, and it, I did a TikTok video on it that I'm going to do again because people don't seem to be able to, not, they don't go back into your old videos to see, you know, to see this. Mm -hmm. And I've written articles on psychology today with those questions. Mm. They're, they're fantastic. I mean, I think that the delineation of, of what really helps people start to identify and, and get clarity is, is beautiful because I think what you said a moment ago about gay and bi clients is really interesting to me that that because of the internalized homophobia oftentimes there's a reluctance to either see a, a, a gay identified therapist or or maybe even a repulsion of some sort um to to have those kinds of honest conversations and and yet you're you're saying that a lot of the straight identified men are, are super interested in exploring and, and of course those who are open-hearted to these kinds of discussions, but it, it, it just, I had never thought of it quite that way. And that, that surprises me, but it sounds really accurate. Yeah. And I never thought about it either, to be honest, because, but I do remember in the early years, I was a teenager when I was mortified to even think about being gay. I was trying to help my therapist help talk us both out of my being gay and I don't think if he would have been a gay therapist, I would have been okay with that because I wanted someone to talk me out of it, not into it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you know, what's interesting just from my perspective is most of my clients know that I'm gay, but sometimes it's, it's talked about. Sometimes it's not. It just depends on, on the situation. But actually I, I think that ultimately there's a, um, a desire to work with me because I, I'm a therapist who happens to be gay, right? It's not, yes. right? So it's, it's not like an, a, the, the, in the forefront necessarily, not that I'm hiding from it. It's just part of who I am. But, um, but, but what's interesting to me is, is that you're really 
opening a conversation, really a, a national conversation about taking away the stigma of these behaviors and these choices. I just love that you said that just now. That's exactly what this is because look, I there's no I'm open for dialogue. I'm open for people to um have, you know, maybe talk me into a different way of thinking about this, but right now this is what I see, this is what I know, this is what is being understood in sexual fluidity. And I I like what you just said. Let's have this conversation and end the stigma so people can figure out for themselves. I actually think that's why people do come to you and I, because they, they know we've had to deal with stigma. They mm-hmm. know we've had to deal with our sexuality, so they believe that we can help them in ways that maybe a straight therapist couldn't in their minds. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I want to just circle back because... I I don't want to make any assumptions that our listeners understand the language that we're using today. And you've mentioned sexual fluidity a few times. Um, It feels like the the language that has evolved from the 70s and 80s on through to the 21st century is, is like night and day. And so I'm curious if you can just help our listeners understand what you mean by sexual flu- fluidity and and how you encompass some of these behaviors in, in that arena. Yeah, I've been using that word a lot, so I'll, let me explain. Sure. So Lisa Diamond and Rich Savin Williams are really the, the scholarly pioneers that have been talking a lot about this and others as well. It's really that you have your sexual orientation, but then you have the capacity to engage in sexual contact with someone of the other gender that you're normally attracted to because of the context, because of the person, because of the environment, because of the time of uh, a play, time and place of where you meet this person. So in other words, a straight person can have sex with this person of the same sex, but it, they're not, like I said, not on a beach looking around at all these other people of the same sex. There's something about this time and place and person, and it's the capacity to be able to enjoy a sexual act with this person. And so when we all understand it in the LGBT community, if you're LGBTQ, but if you're not, well, and this is what shocks me the most about the younger LGBTQ population is that they understand it when we talk about everybody but straight people. Once I start talking about straight men, they're attached to the la- to a label. Nope, he's not straight. And it's not, it's not fair. It's not, it's not balanced. Right. And, and as much as I think we know about all this, we're still learning and it feels like part of the reason that your recent um, social media coverage has been so controversial is, is because people get scared. They, I think that there's a lot of fear. Um, I think when people get irate or angry about this stuff, usually underneath of it, there's all kinds of feelings and history that haven't really been excavated. And, and, and to me, what, what's so important about what we're talking about today is that we're trying to allow the existence of lots and lots of things that, that give people sexual pleasure. And, and so rather than labeling or compartmentalizing or pathologizing, I think what, what I'm hearing and what really has been very exciting to me the last few years, and I know you know Doug Braun Harvey and um, and Doug has been an influence on me in terms of his work in the addiction world and sexual health. And what what's you know what what I'm wanting to ask you, you know, in, in kind of our last few minutes is 
you know, what would you say to somebody who, and it could be a colleague, by the way, or it could be a, a client, but who comes in and says, Joe, I, I'm, I've been married for 25 years. I, I'm getting a divorce. I'm sorry, married. Uh, let me back up. Um, I'm, I've, I'm a married man who is in the process of getting a divorce from a woman. And I'm curious about what else is out there. I'm thinking maybe there's a part of me that would like to experiment with men. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I have interest in, in just allowing for myself to do what I never gave myself the opportunity to do. And I'm curious, you know, how do you respond to somebody like that? Because oftentimes they'll get lumped into this idea of, oh, they're just bi-curious. And I always found that kind of uh, limiting. Um, so how, how would you respond to somebody and, and give them a little bit of, of um, coaching around that? I would educate them between the difference between sexual and erotic orientation. Uh -huh. I would tell them that it's, it's great to want to experiment. And I, I like bi-curious. I like homoerotic. I like heteroflexible and homoflexible. And I like those words because, and I even like the word queer now. I never used to like the word queer because I was called queer and, yeah. and attacked for it. You know, right. now I like it. Even straight people are using the term queer because it's giving them wiggle room. And I would tell my client, it's okay to, Build in some wiggle room, you know, allow yourself to have some um, uh, openness so that you can evolve your sexual, your sexuality and your eroticism. Mm -hmm. Do it with um, informed consent with the partner and let me guide you through this. But it doesn't have to mean that you have to change any identif identification. Mm -hmm. And if it does, it'll show itself. Mm -hmm. So, so in other words, really presenting them with a playground and saying, here's the playground, have fun, basically, you know, let yourself learn about your body, let yourself learn about your sexual interests, your erotic um, turn ons, etc. And, and, and see where it takes you rather than having to come across with any kind of dogma or anything um, that that any assumptions, basically. Yes, exactly. I like that. Let your let your our erotic lives uh, be a playground and without judging or labeling along the way. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because as we're talking, I'm having these flashbacks to the mid 80s, the early 90s. And of course, HIV and AIDS were a big part of that um, time in history. But one of the things that in my own history is that I, I, I felt very restricted uh, because of AIDS. I, I was terrified. And, um, and then I got partnered. I've been with my partner for 25 years. And, um, and I've also been very prescribed in, in, in terms of uh, this is how we have our sex life. And without going into too much detail, it, it's been <laughs> satisfying. But it's also been um, it's been a small playground, right? And one of the things I I hear you saying is that it doesn't really matter what we call it in a sense that that there's that there's all kinds of different things that a person can adopt as what they want to say, you know, heteroflexible, homoflexible, um, bi curious, uh, sexual fluidity. All of these ideas are are all valid. 
and ultimately the individual gets to adopt what really fits for them. Yes, and the whole LGBTQ population, that's what we've been pushing for. In fact, listen, you and I know this at our age, we fought and can continue to fight. Don't identify who I am by what I do sexually. I, if I'm never sexual another day in the, my life, I'm still gay. And I'm saying the same thing for straight men and people can't handle it. Hmm. And, and, and go on. So, so what, what's the difference really? I think it's what you said earlier mm -hmm. and I, it's about pleasure. People have an allergic reaction to pleasure, right? So, and the, people are saying this to me, if the guy's forced, if he's in prison, if he's uh, doing it for fraternity, if he's doing it for money, I get it. But he liked it, gets gay, bro. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and so if it's about pleasure, that's not okay. And mm -hmm. our culture, I think, in general, has an allergic reaction, especially around sexual pleasure. Absolutely. I, I, I think about the puritanical roots that we come from and how they still echo. I mean, it's, it's amazing that we're a few hundred years from that time, and yet that's still a part of what we're dealing with. And, and it's, it's interesting because, and we could have a whole nother conversation about this, but a lot of pleasure goes underground. And a lot of pleasure somehow becomes part of one's shadow side, so to speak. And not yes. that there's anything wrong with that, but um, but it it interests me to help people really celebrate and bring things into the light and and to find their people that they can really talk to about some of these issues that are so stigmatized and and like you said that people are so allergic to, rather than can this be an opportunity to, to really consider the options? Because from my perspective, as much as we know, we really don't know. And we're still learning right. all the time as individuals, as therapists, as communities. And, and, and in 2021, we've come a long way, right? But um, we have a long way to go. With, with that in mind, what, what is your prognosis for sexual health and for conversations like this that, that we're having today? I think it's going to get better and better. I mean, that's what I love about uh, modern sex therapy institutes that we're, we have, you know, over a hundred uh, students getting their PhD in sex therapy, more and more programs are popping up for sexual health. It is awesome to see that mental health practitioners, you're going to get left behind if you don't understand sex and eroticism and sexuality, younger people, are demanding today, like like they did when we were younger. I demanded that you understand about gay issues when I went to therapy later as I was out. Now people are demanding and wanting and hungry for sexual information and sex education. And I think it, that that's where we're heading. But in the meantime, there's lots of controversy and debate and people trying to stop you. It's gonna be a little bit of a culture war, maybe a lot of a culture war. And with every culture war, there's growth. And, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for you joining us today, Joe, because, you know, what, what you've done through the years, and I've really watched your career as, as it's evolved. And I, I think you're a really important voice in, in what's out there and in, in both in the therapeutic community and in the, in our, basically in our country at large and hopefully uh, our world at large, because the, the idea of destigmatizing uh, sexual um, issues and the, the idea of celebrating sexual health 
is is just a, a very exciting and expansive world and and i know you're a big part of that so thank you again for for being a part of our conversation today thank you so much for the work you do and one way or the other i'm sure our, our paths will continue to cross Thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate what you said about me and the chance to be on your show and uh, having this conversation with you. Thank you, Joe. You take good care. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. It was truly informative to be with my very talented colleague, Dr. Joe Court, and discussing this really vital topic that affects people with compulsive sexual behavior and, and many other people as well. Dr. Court can be reached through his website at www.crsh.com, which stands for the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if there are any topics you would like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts, and thanks again for being with us today. 